Hey y'all, this is Sam. And this is Steven. And this is Chimology. This is episode 99. Um, so season four, episode 99. Wow. So first off, thank you for letting us do this for so long. Um, almost a hundred episodes of this, so that's pretty cool. Um, before we get started, make sure to do all of the things. We have social media, both Facebook and Instagram are at CrimologyPod. We've got an email, CrimologyPod at gmail.com. I still have five weeks of this season that I have opened that I don't have anything planned for. So if you have suggestions of popular cases that Stephen should know, then let me know and I'll see if I can add them to my list or not. So yeah, thank you guys for 99 episodes and four seasons. So we're going to jump into this real quick. Uh, let's get started. This is episode 99, Son of Sam. So we're talking about David Berkowitz. He is known for being the son of Sam. Um, we'll get into the name of that later. But well, you, really con- this- you really confused me because I thought you were implying something, but apparently not. <laughs> My son. <laughs> um, but he's known as the having the biggest police manhunt in New York City's history. Um, so we'll get into that now. And I'll, go ahead, I'll go ahead and start off. Uh, Steven's recording uh, remotely again. Uh, so there might be some audio delays between us. But also, one I have not heard of, believe it or not. So go ahead, Sam. <laughs> Are we surprised? <laughs> <laughs> so his... Uh, reign of terror is what I say I'll say starts Christmas Eve of 1975 David was 22 years old when he commits his first um, his first attempted crime I guess he has petty crimes before this anyways this is his first recorded crime he stabbed two women on a bridge one woman was never identified by police the other woman was Michelle Foreman who was hospitalized for a week for her wounds Both women would survive their attack. However, pretty much after this attack, he decides to ditch the knife method and just go for his gun. And so one of the many names he's known for is the .44 caliber killer. And that's the gun he used with all of his killings from here on forward. So those are one of the many nicknames he has. David wasn't looked at for these specific stab victims yet. Um, And then he commits this crime and then he later moves cities after that attack. So now we're July 29th, 1976, when Donna Laurie and Jody Valentine were sitting in their car when Donna opened the door and she notices a man kind of running towards her. The man pulls a gun out of a paper bag and like awkwardly gets down onto one knee and then he props his arm with the gun on the knee that's up and then like uses his other knee to like help aim the gun so like in a weird stance Hmm. and so Donna's like what is this and then all of a sudden she shot (coughs) she shot once and then this is the shot that ends up killing her Jody was shot in the thigh but she ended up surviving the shooting. She describes her attacker as a white male in his 30s, about five feet eight, weighing over 200 pounds, short, dark, curly hair, 
But after the shooting, many in the surrounding area said that they saw this man driving a yellow compact car and saw him roaming the streets. October 23rd, 1976, Carl De Niro and Rosemary Keenan were sitting in Rosemary's car when someone starts shooting at them, shattering the windows. At the point they at this point they didn't know that someone was shooting at them. They really thought it was an explosion. All of a sudden they're sitting there and then all of a sudden all the windows get shattered so they don't really know what happened. So Rosemary starts the car and she drives away. They later find out that Carl was shot in the head and Rosemary only had injuries from the broken glass. Both would survive their attack, but Carl would have to get a metal plate used to replace part of his skull. But neither of them saw their attacker. I guess that's kind of just like that just shows you how much adrenaline they had. Like, you didn't even realize that you got shot. Yeah, you're just, I mean, it. you know, you're just like, whoa, there's glass everywhere all of a sudden. We've got to get out of here. So these two shootings were not looked at having been the same person or having any connection between the two of them. However, the bullets found in Rosemary's car's were so deformed that officials couldn't be 100% sure and couldn't link these two shootings to each other, even though the bullets used in the attack in July looked a lot like these bullets, but these bullets were so deformed that we couldn't be 100% sure. So now we're jumping to November 27th of 1976, where Donna DeMassey and Joanne Lomino were talking on Joanne's porch when a man approached them asking for directions. In the middle of asking for directions, he pulls out his gun and shoots both girls. Donna was shot in the neck and Joanne was shot in the back, later causing her to become paralyzed, but both of these girls would survive their wounds. And then when describing the man, they pretty much describe the same man that was described earlier, a very pale man in his 30s, about 200 pounds. Um, and they said that he kind of like when he was asking for directions, he had a very high pitched voice, but they could tell it wasn't natural. Like he was trying to disguise his voice. Oh, of course. So I guess that's the way to go. So jumping to January 30th of 1977, Christine Friend and her fiance, John Dial, were in John's car when they were shot at. John started the car and he drives away. Now John had minor injuries from the shooting. Christine was shot twice and she would later pass from her injuries. But again, neither of them saw their attacker. And after this shooting is when police look at all of these and now they're starting to think that they all might be connected. They saw that the attacker might be targeting women and the fact that they were all in cars, connected the cases together. So in this specific one, John had longer hair. So they were thinking that maybe the killer thought it was two women together. Um, But it was just, I mean, it's weird. I mean, not that he's targeting women because a lot of serial killers have a type, but it's weird that they're all in cars and he's like, oh yeah, this is a good one. Yeah, that is kind of an interesting subject to this, uh, or an uh, angle to this. So uh, it like makes you think of like what, 
like what was he like why you know what I mean like I guess that's you're like okay why is that your thing anyways so we go to March 8th 1977 where Virginia Voskarikian were walking home when an armed man walked up towards her she held up her textbook to protect herself but the bullet penetrated the textbook hitting Virginia in the head and killing her a few days later New York Police Department declared that the gun used in each of these shootings was from the same gun, even though, like we said earlier, in one of these cases, the bullets were so deformed that that one was ruled inconclusive, but they looked like the right bullet, so they just pretty much roped that one into all of this. And so pretty much since then, since these were all ruled to be the same person, These cases were talked about every single day in the news, whether it was a little side article or, you know, just a little snippet of like, haven't heard anything from him today. He was always in the newspaper. So April 17th, 1977, Alexander Esau and Valentina Sir Sir Ernie were sitting in Alexander's car when a neighbor in the area heard shooting, so-called police. Police found both victims shot with head wounds. Valentina was dead at the scene and Alexander would pass in the hospital. Now, police said the murder weapon was the same as the all the other shooting scenes. But then also at this crime scene, police find a handwritten letter left behind. The letter was mostly in capital letters with a few in Laurel case, and it was addressed to the police's captain. He said that, I mean, the man in the letter said that he was obeying the orders of a demon manifesting in the form of a dog belonging to his neighbor and his neighbor's name was Sam. So this is when he starts calling himself the son of Mm. Sam. He is saying this demon dog is telling him that he's got to do all of these things. He signs the letter, yours in murder, Mr. Monster. And so this is kind of his third nickname is Mr. Monster. Hmm. Um, so not not too bad of a of a code name or a, a what an alias or whatever you want to call it. Right. <laughs> so he definitely, like I said, like in the news, he's talked about every single day. So at first, like this is pretty much he's just like living up to that standard so this letter he writes this letter and he's really just like i mean he's taunting police and he's saying like this is where i'm gonna go next are you guys gonna catch me this time like right you guys love me everybody loves me and so he's loving the fact that he's all over the newspapers and so that's pretty much what this letter is saying and it's kind of it's a lot of rubbish and i mean rubbish what am i it's a lot of um a little rubbish (laughs) it's like the letter is all over the place and it like honestly doesn't make sense that you're like all right like so anyways but we'll post it on our facebook page so you can go read it for yourself so may 30th 1977 another letter was sent to the daily news in this letter he asked the news station what will they have to write about for july 29th 
which would be the one year anniversary of his first shooting. And so, of course, he's like, what are you guys going to have to write about on this day? So obviously, police are like, "Okay, so this is a threat, meaning that he's going to attack again on July 29th. So let's be aware July 29th. Now, for whatever reason, the this letter was decided to be published. So the news station published this letter for whatever reason and then also told David to confess and this caused this specific paper to become the highest selling copy to date. Hmm. Now, obviously, police got tips from this. And, you know, both of the letters were written very differently. The speech was different. The fonts were different, you know, like, and the one letter he'd use bigger words and the other letter, it'd be just like common words. And so like, they were both written very differently from each other. And so police got a lot of tips from the letter being published but ultimately they pretty much led nowhere so then june 26th of 1977 salvatore lupo and judy placebo were in salvatore's car when they were shot at salvatore was shot in the forearm and judy was shot in the temple the shoulder and the neck both victims survived their attack but both didn't see their attacker And then we get to July 31st of 1977. Remember, this is just a few days after he said, like, what are you guys going to talk about July 29th? So police are on high alert. They're looking for this with with the year anniversary of the first shooting. They're on their A game. They're trying to see what they can find. But they're also going back to the last crime scenes. David was known to frequently return to crime scenes and police thought that they might be able to catch him before he did anything. But this time David decides to do his attack instead of New York city. He does it in Brooklyn. So this one specific attack he takes out of town. Hmm. So Stacy Moskowitz and Robert O. Violanti were in Robert's car when a man walks up to the passenger window and starts shooting inside. Robert lost his left eye and Stacy would die from her injuries, both not seeing their attacker. Now, a couple of days later, Cecilia Davis is walking her dog when she notices, women will understand this, but she notices all of this <laughs> happening at the same time. A police officer is giving a ticket to a car parked on the street that's parked too close to a fire hydrant. But she also notices a man approaching her that just is kind of looking at her kind of weird and is looking, is kind of like studying her. And she notices that he has a weird black object in her, in his hand. He ends up walking past her and she pretty much gets around the block, but then she soon starts to hear shots. So Cecilia kind of sits on this for four days. She doesn't really hear of anybody being shot in the area, doesn't hear anything happening. So she kind of sits on this for a while when then she finally decides to go to police with her information. And she tells them about there's this policeman that was giving this ticket to a car that he kind of seemed like he belonged to that car. So like maybe if you look at that car, maybe that will lead you to him. So the police discovered that the car that was ticketed to did in fact belong to David. So 
a detective from the New York Police Department calls another police department to give them David's name and to see if they could question him. Now, the official, or yes, officer who took the detective's call, her name was Wheat Carr. Now, as soon as the detective mentions David's name, Wheat says, oh, I know him. He lives right behind me. She also tells the detective that David had shot her father's dog. When the detective asks what Wheat's father's name was, she told him her father's name was Sam. So Hmm. as this detective's hearing this, he's pretty 100% sure this isn't just like, I mean, David and Sam are common names. Right. But he's like, nope, pretty sure this is my guy. So when the detective asked for help, the police chief said that they were already looking at David for other petty crimes. So this is what I was talking about at the beginning. He has a lot of petty crimes that his name was kind of really wasn't associated with that they always looked at him. But it wasn't until all of these other shootings that then his name was roped into all of these other ones. So the next day, police find David's car And they see a gun in the back seat. So they do a search and they find a duffel bag full of ammo that matched the ammo at the, uh, all of the shootings. They find maps of all the crime scenes and they find a threatening letter addressed to the inspector of the son of Sam's task force. So pretty much have this case tied up in a bow for them. But police wanted to wait for David to come out of his apartment rather than risk something happening and going into his apartment. So they hang around outside until about 10 p.m. when David comes out and he gets in his car and then a police obviously approach him with their guns drawn. When David realizes what is happening, he simply says, well, you got me. How come it took you so long? So when they searched David's apartment, he had satanic graffiti on the walls. They found journals that he had kept since he was 21 that had all of the crimes he committed, which also helps link him to all the petty crimes. So August 11th, 1977, David had been interrogated for only 30 minutes when he confessed to all of the shootings and said he wanted to plead guilty. He later admitted that the dog and the devil story was just a just a cover up. <laughs> so three separate mental health ex- um, examinations were done determining that David was competent to stand trial. He even refused to enter a plea deal by reason of insanity. So they continue on. He is obviously found guilty because he admits to being guilty. Right. So at his sentencing at his sentencing He tries to jump out of a seven-story window and then continues to shout that some of his, he's like saying all of these bad things about the women he killed. And he's saying like, I'd kill them all again. I'd do this all over again if I could. So he has this big outrage. So the court orders another psychiatric, psychiatric evaluation before sentencing where he is found competent again to stand trial, so they continue with sentencing. On June 2nd, 1978, 
David was sentenced to 25 years to life for each murder. So he's got six life life sentences. And then in the mid-1990s, David claims to be to be a converted Christian. And he says that his killings were actually part of a satanic cult. So investigators started looking into this, but in 1996, abruptly stopped after basically all of their findings were inconclusive. So they were like, yeah, you're just crazy or whatever. You're trying to get out of it or whatever. So they pretty much stopped looking into it. Now, from this case and the publicity that it got, the New York state legislator started a new law known as the Son of Sam's Law, which is designed so that criminals don't get financial profit from the public, from the like, what's the word? The publicity of the crime. So Mm. to make sure that all of, you know, to yeah prevent people from wanting to become celebrities so let me just kill a guy um so because of the publicity that he got that's why one of these laws is in effect now which is one thing about this case that i didn't know so that's episode 99 son of sam not my son but i don't claim him but yeah, episode 99, another one that there were details that even I didn't know about. So I guess I'll count this as an L too. Um, <laughs> but another one that Stephen and I didn't know about. Rock and roll. Rock and roll. I don't know what our list or our, what is the word? Words are hard today. <laughs> um, like our yeah. O and 1, O and 2. Oh, the record. Yeah. Not very high this year. It's not very good. There's always next year. (laughs) So anyways, uh, this is season four, which is, if you're new here, hello. Um, This is where we're introducing Stephen to all of the popular cases. So, Son of Sam, this is a popular case. Like I said, I still have five episodes that I have nothing ready for. So let me know. Make sure to follow us, do all of the things, like us, review us, rate us, do all of those things. Um, next Next week, hopefully me and Stephen are together. And so we don't have to do this states apart. But yeah, like always, this is Sam. This is Steven. And this is Crimeology.